Jonathan sure. Running's Running Cables. Um, you guys have been doing this for many, many years now. Yep. And to be honest, uh, cabling, that's something I met you through through the chamber and I didn't even know what the hell it was at first. Nobody does. Um, yeah. But no, you're not alone. How, how you guys are um, coming out, your social media is amazing and really um, educating people as well. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really impressive how, how you guys are growing so quickly, getting the name out there. Um, and uh, yeah, just one, uh, another thing I've written down, one of the most organized uh, cabling companies uh, within the GTA. I, I love the Instagram. I'm very OCD as well. Yeah. And having everything in line, that I, I love seeing it. So oh, you guys are killing it. it and uh, well, that's, thanks for coming on. That's so much of uh, what we're trying to do. Um, that's our, our purpose. That's our mission is um, we want to establish ourselves different in the industry, you know, set ourselves apart. And uh, uh, being someone who wanted to to make everything look perfect and pristine. Um, it was easy for me. I, uh, I grew up learning the trade from my father and, um, and uh, didn't know much at the time, but I've self-educated myself through the, through the industry. And uh, I, he always had a reputation for making things look amazing. And I was like, I want to do that. And I just <laughs> made it my goal to like find the best ways to do all the best structure cabling I can possibly do in the neatest, nicest way, meeting all the top standards. And, uh, and then on top of that, you mentioned um, educating people. That's exactly built into our purpose, our purpose as a, as a company. And one we, we talk a lot about uh, amongst our entire team is um, to set the bar in the industry. To, um, we want to be a role model in the industry as to how it should be done. It is an unregulated trade um, or unregistered trade in that you don't have to have a certificate like an electrician does. Right. Um, and with that, there comes a lot of untrained professionals in the industry too. Um, and it's, it's an open door to so many. It's a great, great opportunity for people to get into a certain trade like this, but at the same time, um, awareness and education around those standards, best practices, codes, things like that are high, very important in order uh, to, to be in this trade. So uh, educating uh, helps people realize what they need to know. Um, and, uh, and that's what we're, kind of trying to do is, is just let the world know you know what we're about what we're doing and try to inspire other companies other people in the industry to to, to raise the bar and it was 2012 was it correct when yeah, you started that's right um so walk me through how you got into it i understand it was a sure. bit of a family thing running cables jonathan running yeah um, uh, i'll i'll admit um my my lack of knowledge and all that in the process so um when i got into the trade i was actually uh doing it because I thought, hey, I grew up pulling cable with my dad. He had a telecom business. His dad taught him a little bit because he was actually in the manufacturing side of the cable. And this is way, way back. So at the time, telecom ruled the world. Data, everything wasn't really a thing yet. Everything being Ethernet connected and Wi-Fi connected was not a thing. It was all handset phones on desks. Um, and I was always in the ceilings pulling cable with him. So I, I knew the trade, but I didn't do it. And I'll, I'll explain why. I mean, anyone who's tried to get into the fire department, you need a trade background. Like, or it, having trade backgrounds really helps because then it just shows that, one, you're not just sitting around doing nothing, but you're also, you know, structural, you know, construction, things like that. That can really help. And I was a young guy. I was 19. I went, I'm going to start my own business. And my, why, my, why not? And my dad was actually the one who challenged me. He lives down in South Florida. And he goes, you know, you know more than I did when I first started my first business. 
which, uh, which I guess to him and me, uh, you know, we were just entrepreneurial and said, why not? So we stepped out, built the business um, up, and uh, I just immediately got out there and connected myself and just started working and, and showing people what I did. And I did not know the level of um, knowledge that makes you good in this industry or what you should know in this industry to be in this, this industry. Um, I had all the bad practices, all the wrong practices, um, but the longer I did it, the more I started learning um, from other really good people out there, good pioneers, people on social media that, uh, that made me go, okay, I need to like, you know, pick up the textbook and actually start learning the industry standards and best practices and how things work. And uh, that's exactly what I did, just started picking up all the Bixie textbooks and, uh, and got myself fully up to speed with the right codes and um, best practices. And with that, it made me go, if we want to be the best, I need to, uh, to create like a training program because there's so many people I know who've had probably years of experience like I did who don't actually know what they should and shouldn't be doing because there's not even a lot of educational courses out there on this yet. So I was like, you know what, Let's, it's, it's not mainstream enough. Uh, so that's when I kind of doubled down and said, all right, um, let's do that. Um, and early in my years as well, I, uh, so many people have experienced this. The glass ceiling was put on them. Uh, I had that put on me. I worked in the, in the industry. It was structured cabling, doing a lot of CCTV for a larger company. Um, they had locations all across Ontario. I was working for them. And I did, did ask, um, I did ask someone in management. I just said, hey, you know, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm happy with where I'm at right now, but I want to progress. I want to grow my skills. I want to develop. I want to um, see how I can move my my uh, like my roadmap in my position. And uh, and they basically said, collect your check and be happy. Um, this is basically as high as you can climb. And that was the driving factor to, was, to take the first step. Yeah, and I was kind of like that. I it, it was when something set off in me. I was like, I don't ever want anyone to feel like that being paid limited um to your position not by office, obviously the value you can provide there was no drive for me to become the very best at anything and that's how i've always been wired ever since i was young um, and i was like how can i become the best at this and be provide triple quadruple the value for anybody if it's not going to make a difference right if i can't better myself or my family's life or anything like that so I thought to myself, if I, I I'm going to step out, step away. I'm going to try to do this entrepreneurial thing. I knew nothing about business, <laughs> but I did promise myself if I ever did build a business that I had a lot of employees, I would uh, make sure they had ample opportunity that whether they wanted to be in management or the the technician or working in the field, that they had the opportunity to make just as much as everyone else. And, and grow their career as much as they want to based off of the value they provide. Right. And be, I was a young guy at the time as well. And one thing I didn't like was, uh, and, and I, I get this as I'm getting older, but the, a lot of people pay based off seniority and not off value. And at that early age, I'm like, you know, I actually am counterintuitive to that. I don't care if you're 12 years old. Actually, no, you can't work for me if you're 12. But if you are you know, 18 years old and you work for me, but you are an absolute rock star and you're super talented, 
but I've had a guy working for me for 20 years and his work is, you know, okay, but this other guy offers a way more value. I'm going to compensate based off of the value. Yeah. And uh, it's, and that's kind of how I've always wanted to structure it is that I want people to feel drive to better themselves and get better every day. So I, I wanted to build that. At the time, I didn't have the experience. I worked on my own for actually five years when I started the business. Um, and uh, I had contractors help me out and things like that um, on bigger projects. But I just worked solo um, and I got to know the industry. And that was where I transformed into getting to know the industry better and really learning you know, a lot more about um, uh, best practices, standards. Um, and then I had another little aha moment where I was like, I'm going to grow this thing and, and turn it into something. And that was when um, I, I just had, it was almost like that dissatisfaction in the industry. And you're tired of so many people cutting corners, not doing it right, or two people offering a quote for a customer. And you know, one of them's, you know, two guys in a truck who maybe did cabling at some point and can buy a cable from Home Depot and, and get yeah. it done, but knows nothing about standards, cable transmission, anything, um, and will be half the price because there's no training there and you lose out. And it was almost like this frustration built up in me and I, it just kind of like snapped and I was like, you know what, I want to be kind of a beacon in the industry and like now that I've learned this, I don't want other people to go five years without knowing that this is the in like industry standards and educating the industry. Right. So that's when I was like, I'm going to build this into something. That's part of the process of me being better known and, and improving the industry is I need to be larger and grow this. And, and naturally that will happen if you're doing something good for customers. So that's when I, uh, I really doubled down on business and I picked up every business book I could. Again, didn't have that, uh, that formal business education, but I uh, decided that's not going to stop me. I'm going to pick up every business book I could. I had family uh, in uh, accountants and things like that. They gave me their old account accounting textbooks and I just I just bootstrapped it all. I just yeah. learned everything I could and um, and then found myself uh, with enough knowledge to grow this to where it's at. And um, as I, I'm sure you can relate, you feel like you want to be 10 times further along than where you are at the time you're at. But um, it's definitely not growing as fast as I want, but I don't think I'll ever feel like it's growing as fast <laughs> as I want. Um, but there's so much to learn, yeah. so much to learn in that process. Well, and I'm sure without that five-year period of you just learning and, and probably just uh, all the hard lessons, the mm -hmm. hard knocks and taking them, Lots of um, those, yeah. without that, you probably wouldn't have been able to open your eyes um, to, like, there's there's so much wrong within this industry yep. um, and have that switch flip to uh, create an, a new hunger, a new drive within you. Um, you is that it. right? Absolutely. Yeah. What's that book? Um, doing hard things like honestly if you keep stretching yourself you're going to keep exposing yourself to new lessons and they're going to hurt yeah like I. but once you learn to love that oh. it's it's endless the sky's the limit right? yeah so. i don't i don't always love them definitely some of them leave some scars i'm like <laughs> oh, that one sucked okay yeah i've lost yes. a lot of money doing different things and doing <laughs> dumb things and i can and i can can't relate more. Um, so how was it? I was going to ask, uh, how, how was it bringing your first guy in, not mm. having the experience and him uh, working under you? But oh, then you mentioned you, the you lessons had five learned. Years. Ready? Um, first hire, I had this grand idea of just I'll make a bunch of phone calls and then 
uh, I'll screen them down to a couple, and then I'll do an interviews at the coffee shop, and and then I, uh, um, the first person that came through the door, I was like, yeah, this is great. And I'm such an optimist. I was like, this is a great idea. I did not know how to vet and size people up well. Um, that that didn't work out. It didn't work out well at all. Um, and I learned a lot of, uh, about kind of what people are looking for as well as a place, you know, to have be employed and things like that. that so that didn't work out well. Um, worked for a little bit, but I, um, part personality-wise, he just wasn't wanting t to do the harder work. And uh, and then also, um, you know, I, I definitely gave him too much last minute. Okay, go here, go there, go there, go there. And that wasn't up for his, his liking. So right. um, that flopped and that was like okay like i need to reassess how i do this so yeah. that was lesson number one like okay so that was my very first hire didn't last more than i think two weeks i was like okay so back to the drawing board second was um i took someone kind of under my wing someone who's having a hard time in life and he was wanting to just get his feet back under him and i said all right shadow me like just come with me learn the trade with me be on site with me all the time um, and uh, I slowed it down because what I was trying to do was delegate a lot of the work and be out of the field a lot more uh, to do a lot more customer relations and stuff. Right. And then I'd realize I needed to slow it down. And uh, if they're going to operate like me, they needed to shadow me and learn from me. So I took that approach, and that was great. Um, it worked really well. We were able to speed it up, and then um, I don't know what your trajectory looked like, but after I started doing that, that was working. I found myself with a work volume that I couldn't do the at-home stuff, uh, or like the quoting, invoicing, bookkeeping, and be in the field at the same time too much, uh, at a certain work volume. Yeah. So I was like, I need to get an admin. So I hired an admin, or someone who could be an admin, but I didn't have full-time work for them. So I said, are you interested in like half doing work in the field and half admin? And he, and he just found some someone who was interested in learning the trade and new bookkeeping and yeah. stuff, and I was like, let's do this. That worked out, turned out that I ended up putting that person full-time in the field, All and right. then I ended up doing a lot more of the, the admin stuff, and then I did hire my first admin. So that was kind of my odd trajectory where um, once I got my first admin, that really relieved a lot, um, and then we just uh, kept growing. I think we added, uh, I think I added a second admin because I was still doing a lot in the field. Okay, so it was like three of us in the field, two admins, and then uh, I think we added a, a fourth and uh, a fifth uh, guy in the field as work continued, and then I was pretty much out of the field at that point because uh, there's a lot of quotes to go out, things yeah. like that. Interesting, and the whole admin thing, like I really struggled. That was almost a year ago when I first started building my, my Are you office still struggling? Because I'm still struggling. Well, <laughs> always, always. <laughs> Um, but for in, ter in terms of the admin, like uh, not being billable hours, and mm -hmm. they're just sitting it's in the office. Overhead. All day, oh yeah, right. And, straight overhead. And it's I'm like, painful. holy shit! Like if you know, mm -hmm. th sure, this is taking something off my plate. But at that time, I was in the same boat. I I was doing it all, so I'm like, well, yeah. how are we gonna have enough work and this and that? Um, and anyways, I just took the leap of faith and, and it worked out and then once yep. to, to your point once you get one it slowly becomes easier adding to that team yep. they train as well as you train and it just keeps keeps snowballing um you mentioned in i believe late summer or the fall when we met you were working on a system for hiring and onboarding um mm -hmm. whether it was uh like 
and hands-on activity to really see how they they work. And yes. Has that made any right progress? Right back to that first point of needing to know, learning who you want to hire, what qualities, what attributes, what strengths and weaknesses you're looking for. Boy, am I still learning that one too. Um, I haven't developed that yet, but I did. I think I mentioned to you that I want to do some Lego tests. Like a Lego or something, yeah. Um, a quality that really helps guys in the trades are people who are visually uh, visual learners yeah. and typically just visual in general. Um, a good, easy, quick test is being like, did you play with a lot of Legos when you were young? <laughs> because typically people who are very, like, who like Legos, they like building things with their hands and they're visual. They can see things in three dimensions in their head. Yeah. They can map it. I learned that that's one of the... And, they're typically fast learners. Or throw them a Rubik's cube. Yeah, <laughs> well, that that I I have uh, I think I used to do it, but I had to look it up on YouTube on how to do it. Yeah, but <laughs> I uh, I um, can never figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> those, but those Lego tests are, are kind of like it was a good test because it allowed me to think: Do you uh, see things visually in your head? Um, and then the the number one attribute or quality that makes someone a really good hire for us. Um, and I would say this is second to being trustworthy and a, a good human being. Obviously, find good people first. That's the highest priority. Um, second to that would be your ability to learn visually. Because if you are someone, in, at least this is what I'm just going to off the, the cuff here, you got like the people who learn by reading. You got the people who learn by watching, and you got the people who learn by having to do. I, I think I filled my team now with people who are good by watching and good who do. But even still, the people who are really good and actually mean it, like people who, who are good by doing, who when they do it, they learn. If they, they like to call themselves people who are good by watching, but I found that that's not always the case. Right. There's two different mindsets out there. People who, uh, if they can see someone do it, they can do it. They don't have to even have to do it to like, 99% of the time, they just had to see someone do it the first time. That is an underrated, super valuable skill, especially for me in a trade where I'm not getting people out of a trade school or something like that. Right. Where guys who, if they have experience in the industry or don't have experience in the industry, they see how we do it, and they can. And they'll be like, "Okay, I got it. this." Yeah. So typically, it's like guys who've learned off of YouTube. Have you learned anything off of YouTube? Like that's a great question yeah. that um, I definitely want to ask in interviews now, because that tells me like you can watch something and replicate it. Um, well, knowing what you want is is one thing, and that's the first step. <laughs> but the truth. but pulling it out of them and the right questions and the right what Improving to ask. It too. Feel... I've been duped before where I've been, I've uh, asked questions that made me think, oh, like, you know, you're really good at this. Yeah. And, and then you find yourself you're like, mm, yeah, no, you lied on the resume. <laughs> and it's usually four weeks later after you, someone invested in them. And, Absolutely. And they're part of yep. somewhat the culture and this exactly. and that. Um, how have you found overcoming that? Like, I... I feel they, yeah. they give you what you want to hear, 
and everyone's all all the interviews are always great mm -hmm. until uh, it's not their first week they they show up their first week and they're amazing the first week but once you start giving them some sort of trust mm -hmm. um like they they everyone wants to build your trust mm -hmm. and once they have your trust then they yeah. can start being sneaky so yep. i've been trying to uh, be more open give balance. my trust as soon as possible mm -hmm. um fully trust them see what they're gonna do and just have that that process happen way sooner mm. um how, how have you overcame that from the interview process to yeah you know what i haven't figured that out and if you got tips for me please let me know um there are people who when i give responsibility aka freedom to just let me know what you need and, and kind of run things hands off. Uh, some people are empowered by that and they run and they kill it. Yeah. And then there's people who actually kind of like self-destruct a little bit. It's like they need a little bit more bit structure. bumper structures and accountability, I would say. Um, that That is, there's people who need accountability and then people who don't. I'm gonna say 99% of the time you should always have some form of accountability on everyone. Um, it, always brings out the best, including ourselves. Like, Put your own safeguards, put your own accountability yeah. points in there. Um, otherwise, we naturally don't hit our markers, and that's what comes down to like goal setting, things like that. Um, yeah, I haven't, uh, I don't, don't have the perfect rhythm of getting uh, that ironed out. As you spoke, there's probably little things that you do in your business that help kind of assess that that you're looking for that in the first few weeks I'm assuming yeah. um, once you hire someone you know you're you're uh, yeah they're they're gun ho everyone's you know on the honeymoon phase and yeah. and, and then then it sets in and um, I think an, uh, a really good thing to assess in people as well is what their habits are aim for app habits look for the habits right. what do you do at home What's your routine at bedtime? What's yeah. your routine? Like, honestly, if you just know they'll go to bed at a good time to make sure they're well-rested in the morning, you got to keep her. <laughs> because 90% of the time, like, my biggest challenges I've had with certain individuals have been they're just exhausted all the time, showing up to because they've been playing video games too late at night every night, and yeah. they're just lacking that discipline. It's like, okay, like this, you're hurting yourself. So that's yeah. a big one. Interesting. I, I want you to touch on uh, SOPs, so standard operating procedures. Yeah. And yeah. we had a really good chat about this a few months ago. Yeah. And I'm curious to see, it's been a few months now, if anything's changed and also how, uh, back to holding people accountable, mm -hmm. how you put those SOPs in place for uh, each position or each guy um, to say like, listen, this, this is, you're held accountable for these roles. Um, what, I what would to love say? to speak as an expert on this, but I am in the school of hard knocks right now trying to figure all that out. Um, and I'm happy to be humbly saying that. Uh, the, I'm a big fan of like the E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that. You know, he really gives you a great story and ex example of how to set up a company right. Um, my biggest mistake, and I would say so many tradies out there are going to relate to this where it's hard to to get through this threshold where you end up doing everything and it's because you either either haven't made the plunge you got an admin which really does double down if you do the math like the time you save if you can get someone on board to do that will allow you to make way more 
at the end of the day. 99% of the time, there's very few situations where that's not actually going to be the case. Yeah. If you are the business owner, the tradie in a small young business, you if you're like sub 10 people for sure, adding an admin is, is going to just trajectory you and, and people say working on the business not in it yeah. and they and especially in the trades they think it's only just in the field well let me get out of the field and then i'm not working in it well you're still replying to emails and sending quotes out all day you can't right. overlook take that chairman point of view right i struggled with that so much i wanted to get to that and that was part of my reason of pushing myself out of the field it was to keep developing on the business and i agree um i struggled a lot because i had kids at home as well right um and I would say for anyone wanting to work on the business, if your business is in a place where you don't have a large cash flow, you need to you need to do it in your evenings. But I had young kids; I didn't have a lot of time to work on the uh, the business. And so many entrepreneurs as well will be realizing that you naturally are thinking about it twenty four seven too. When you come down to the SOP side, when it comes down to like okay, hey, uh, and this is where we're at right now, where we've grown our company to a certain size, where uh, now we need to start, we need to start, it's no longer, hey, you're really good at this, you can help with this side, hey, you know what, like, let's Just hire for this people role, anywhere. you watch what we are doing, and okay, let's do it there, okay, good. Now we're getting to a place where the inefficiencies are starting to eat, like, bog down on itself, um, and that's, that's where we need to start to really iron out the SOPs. Um, so many, uh, the big mistake that I made, and I think so many uh, trade people do, is they hire support roles without full delegation, um, fully delegating the role. So for example, I've hired up, you know, uh, someone to help me with coordination, someone to help me with, um, you know, uh, procurement and all that stuff, bookkeeping, but whenever there's fires, because they're not fully looking after all of the operations, I don't have a single operating officer right now. If I had one person fully in charge of that, there'd be a lot less. All the fires right now, I've created a business where anytime there's a fire anywhere, it comes back to me. Because their feet aren't fully sunken in there. Exactly. Yeah. Or, or they were, I hired a support role for that role, not leader for that role yeah so it's uh it's an interesting uh challenge that i think so many business owners can fall into um i i got some business coaching from a, a group out in australia called um uh, tradey um Trady success academy and uh great group in australia they have a lot of great like business coaching trade stuff out there mm -hmm. um they the number one thing they keep pointing out is like you need to hire an operations manager who are actually going to be in charge of all the operations. And that was the number one thing that I was missing. And I'm working on that as well. Um, unfortunately, I've grown to the point where if I hired an operations manager earlier on in that growth process, maybe a couple of years back, <laughs> I would have been like, that would have been perfect timing. Right. Because then that would have. So now I need to. I need to reshuffle the deck. I need to rebuild my org chart essentially because SOPs are so important to uh, to creating full ownership of it. Um, there's an organization that I really like, um, one by Dave Ramsey, um, Entree Leadership. They talk about KRAs, key result areas. Every position you get, 
when you hire someone, they have a KRA sheet. And it basically on the sheet says, this is what it looks like to win. This is what winning looks like. This is what is expected of you. This is, it's a, it's a cheat sheet basically saying, this is your expectations, key result areas. Right. And a lot of times, especially as you start to hire the back end, the front end's pretty easy, right? You know, I, I would say not really easy, but it's easier in that you've grown up, if you grew, grew up on tools or, or in the field, you know your trade, but when it comes to the admin, a lot of times you can hire roles and not actually give a really clear example saying, hey, this is what I expect. A lot of times that's what's missing. And a lot of times when it comes down to like having to choose, like, is this the right person? Do I need to let them go? Things like that. 90% of the time, they haven't been given the tools to do it right yeah. because they haven't given a sheet that said, this is what your key results areas I'm looking at. And this so, is what success looks like in this position. Exactly. Right? This is what winning looks like. Yeah, like yeah. This is, and this is in your specific position. And then have that throughout your chart, <laughs> and too. And every person has their own KRA sheet that says, this is what winning looks like in your position. And, uh, and if everybody's hitting those targets, and then they have some, you have something to measure against, too. You can go, hey, let's sit down, let's review how things are going. We're feeling some bumps. Yeah. Let's iron it out. Let's look back at the sheet here. Let's read over it. This is what we need to expect. You feel like you're hitting those? No, me neither. Um, why do you think that is? And you can have that kind of conversation and either find a way to give them the tools they need to do their job or say, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe I wasn't wise enough in my hiring and maybe we just need to look at some different way and you need to find something that's better for your strengths and, and, and then hopefully hire someone without that person being too upset and leaving right away and leaving you stranded. Yeah. But it's, yeah. uh, um, it's a good way to navigate. Interesting. And um, one thing or bridge that uh, and I'm sure you can relate to as well is it's all in your head, the office stuff, and just getting it out to paper yeah. before you're needing to make that hire. Having the cheat sheet for yourself, the yeah. KPIs in there for yourself. Yeah. Are you winning before you can give it over to someone else? Yes. Right? I completely agree. I struggle with this because I'm also a professionalist. Um, I think his name, Dan Holstein great guy he's a business coach here in in Ontario um, he told me the quote I, I actually never heard this quote before but it's probably very well known uh, perfection is the enemy of completion I think it was and so true if you give if I try to focus on trying to get it right before I hire that position, it can also hinder the business too. So there's that balance and I've struggled with that. So just do it first and then refine it. Sometimes. There's there's no wrong answer. I think you just you have to use your intuition as the right move. I think it was the right move when we hired um, the positions. I now would say I feel like I'm in a position where I need to hire a couple people and I'm holding off right now. I'm waiting until I get a little more clarity, a little more of the stuff out of my head and on paper, a new KRE sheet properly made up, um, an idea of exactly how people need to communicate and work and work new workflows, and just spending a bit more time right now getting that ironed out because I don't want to hire that beforehand. Right. Um, though I've done that before, and that's sometimes the best option, um, especially in the early days when you're hiring your first couple admins, everyone's wearing so many hats what you need is highly versatile people. Yeah. Get the right, as uh, my favorite uh, favorite book is uh, Good to Great. 
and he talks about the principle, get the right people on the bus, then figure out where to drive it. Yeah. If you get some really good people behind the scenes as you're building, that's going to make a world of a difference. You're going to find one rock star that will change your back end of your office. Yeah. But you just have to get the right people on the bus and then figure out, okay, this is what the business needs, this is how we need to do it, and just keep adapting. Um, people are the hardest thing about business, hands down. And it's also what made me not want to go back into firefighting because it's business, you need to be, to be really good at business. You have to be so good at so many different things. You pretty much need to have a psychology degree. You need yeah. to have an accounting degree. You need to, you know, you need to have a, like a, a systems mind. And you have, like, you have to be so good in so many different areas. And that's kind of why I was like, this is always going to stretch me and pull me. And I'm like, I'm going to, I, I want to see what I can do. Let's go. So that's, that's why kind I kind of a thing, eh? Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, it comes with stress for sure, um, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but there's the little wins that make it all worth it. Yeah. And uh, you definitely grow every day. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So your org chart, I'm, I'm really curious mm -hmm. how you structure that. Because one thing I'm struggling with is the sales guy not being in the field, knowing exactly those mm. metrics. Sure, there's the job costing and you have metrics yeah. on as much as you can, but you, you know, not everything is, is dialed in yet. And having that sales yeah. guy estimating being in the office all day, then you have your foremans that know actually exactly how long it takes or exactly what's required. Yes. Yeah. I know you have some of your, your crew leads or foremans do some of the estimating as well. Like how is it structured in the field, yeah. sales, and then also admin? What about, um, if I can ask you, what, what's your typical work that you have that, that hierarchy doing? Um, and what, what is your current structure? Like how do you have that currently set up on your side? Yep, so um, like our foreman's running a crew of just okay. two, three guys under them. Okay. Them doing the jobs, that's it. Um, and then are they are they on the tools too, or are they just kind of more of like overwatching? So sorry, the, like the foreman, like so they're they're in the field. They run a crew. Gotcha. And then we have our operations who yeah. manages the four crews. Okay. Um, and then we have an admin, and okay. then uh, we have a sales guy. Um, that's good. And good that's we're kind of no. That's out how to that's a that to me sounds like a really healthy structure. But making the sales and ops talk, uh, right? find that this one, no matter, at least every business book I've ever read, it points to no matter how big your company is, there's always a, a challenge there. Um, I came up with a structure that I've never thought about moving away from so much in my life because there is a bottleneck with it. There's no perfect structure, I don't think. Um, if there is, please, someone, get back to us, please. Yes. Um, the way I currently structured it was I had this... I. I in vision in my head that will create we found that like the best person to be the salesperson is the estimator because the estimator the first person that needs to like go and estimate a project or get get it sized up to send a quote out is typically the person you're going to talk to the, the customer the most so who they if they're talking to the, the estimator the most having them also being the salesperson is one of the best combos right. but then on the operations side the best person to make sure the job goes as planned in the way it was designed and the way it was cons like put together and to know all the nitty-gritty details that like sometimes are brought up in conversations loosely in the sale and estimating process 
well, that same person is also the best person to make sure the job goes as planned. Right. And a lot of guys in the trades are typically able to do that cradle of grapes. So I had this idea that, okay, they're project managing, they're estimating, and they're sales. Why don't we put it under one hat, give it the title that most customers want, which is they just want to know, like, there's a project manager. They, are look, they look after getting you the estimate. They do the, all the talking. They figure it all out. They're personable. And then they make sure that job goes as planned so that there's at least one point of contact all the time. And that way, they don't have to be bounced around between too many people. It was a design that I came up with because we were doing a lot of small, mid-sized projects. And that seems to be the smoothest flow. You want one per person to talk to. That everybody wants, just one person to talk to. Right. And I thought that was a great structure. But that person also needed support when it comes to scheduling the team, coordinating the team, and helping with material, helping with the back end. That's your admin. I called it a project coordinator because they did chime that other person in to help with the, yeah. the, the calendar stuff. Um, we found too many people were um, touching the calendar. So we dedicated one role to it, called it the project coordinator. And that was pretty much that support admin role that helped that. And I figured a scalable model that will work is a project manager, which kind of wears all hats, yep. and a project coordinator, which kind of helps with the admin and coordination of it all. And that combination is a deadly combo that we can scale. Where we run into bottlenecks is we don't, we didn't have like a full on outside sales hunt, which was okay. That's not the bottleneck. The bottleneck was when we get busy. We get really busy. That person who's responsible for doing is tapped out. Is tapped out immediately. As soon as we have a high influx of work and getting a lot of quotes out, quotes become the number one focus. Project ex execution and preparation and things on track start to fall apart. And now fires are popping up everywhere that could have been easily avoided if you had more bandwidth. Now we're in trouble. So that's kind of what we found that we're like, okay, now do we split up these roles? Because we had a couple PMs at right. one point, but we were still tapped out. So it's like, okay, so then do we add another PM or and keep to the same model? Or do we do we divide up the roles where people are more specialized in what they do? And and for us, because we do such we do really large scale and really small scale and everything in between, that made it really challenging because this model works really good for small to mid size. When you get into bigger construction, you want the specialized roles, you need the skill sets. So you need an outside salesperson be the you know the support like the sales rep yeah that really is maintaining a really good relationship make sure all things are good cradle to grave but then you need also a professional estimator to, who can estimate more complex jobs or takeoffs and then you need it like a, like a project manager who will manage the project properly which can be a very time-consuming job on a really large job too so you have this model that larger construction jobs or construction companies will will follow where they'll have different independent roles or sales engineer or an, um, and sales rep and a project manager and the through the life cycle of the project that all of them will be involved or different people at different times will be diff in involved and that does work best because of their skill set expertise right. at a small company size like we're at where we're doing those large projects mid-sized projects and service calls we struggle to find that balance right now. So we're in the middle of trying to figure out what that ba balance is. Um, and I have a feeling it's gonna be a little bit of both or an all. Right now, um, to be honest, I'm you know just uh, dropping my pants and showing kind of where we're at. We're, we're contemplating 
um, a structure where uh, we have a PM work on certain, we're going to identify project sizes and complexities, have a PM dedicated to certain projects that are really, he's a specialized at managing projects. Anything that's kind of a lighter project, we're hoping to just keep training up our uh, lead techs in the field to kind of half manage. So it's like creating mini forums, uh, um, for example. Yeah. Um, foremans, uh, so the guys who don't need that big of crews, one, two man crews, they can kind of help manage most of that on their own and have one estimator funnel a lot of the work that way. Sales work with another, that either a same estimator or a second estimator and kind of just divide what I was talking about. Doing that smaller structure, which works, but also starting Having with the, the bigger, bigger structure. Stuff, yeah. And that way I can kind of balance it a bit Like it, it sounds like two completely different businesses it, almost. It feels like three. And, and it's challenging. I, I couldn't relate more to that with <laughs> doing maintenance as well right. and then also construction hardscape stuff. Yeah. And really learning to say no this year has been big for us and finding our niche, finding what we're good at. Cool. Because um, I, I see guys all the time doing like Christmas lights and lawn mowing and then That's right. construction. You, you touch so and, many different mediums. And it's like, how are you yep. going to be the best at what you're doing? And especially your foreman. And you have seasonal challenges that you can't change. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and, then, and then the foreman as well doing like a fence job, and the next week they're doing a pool, then a patio. And it's yeah. like, it's, it's learning every single week. It's like your first five years, but just, yeah. just a rat race of that, right? Um, after Isn't those five true? years for you, I'm sure it was, it was quick, it was efficient. It was once you figured it out. Yeah. So why not just feed them the, like for me, just learning this now is figuring, feed them the exact same thing week in and week out. Mm -hmm. They have the same equipment. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm. And it's just like rinse and repeat. There's no, um, we found it was always an improv every single week. It yeah. was like a, an improv session of, well, what, do that? what like, the hell is going were on? Were you this? able to get some consistency? What did you do? Um, no, no. no. <laughs> last, week, well, last year was a mess. And in reflecting on that yeah. in this off season, going into this year, learning to say no and slowly backing away from the, the maintenance side, the smaller mm -hmm. jobs. And being a maintenance landscape company, you do fences, you do garden cleanups, you do all this. Yeah. We, we want to do construction, hardscape, and that's all we do. Our guys are amazing at that. That's what, mm. you know, only what they touch. So for you, would you consider almost structuring it, having it removing. two businesses? Not removing, mm. but structuring it as um, your first model for those smaller jobs, whether it's under a certain dollar amount, and Great then question. those those bigger having a different structure great question i thought i was all in for that here's my my challenge same customer that gives us the whale size project that we have that bigger structure for uh, also will ask us for two cables at their other office and then that one you don't need the same structure you need a different operating and and process. why why can't that uh just be fed to the other department that is true. Um, that is true. Yeah. It, um, like you know what? Jimmy right. can help you right. out with this off. Splitting it off. You know, you're right. Splitting it works. Getting rid of one. Sorry, is how I process that because that's what I was tempted to do. It's like we don't do this, and like literally saying and finding no. Your niche. It's like you supporting one of your customers, but you guys don't do fences, and it's like one of the things that maybe one in twenty or one in ten come ask for for a small fix, it's really small, it's really easy. And then you're leaving that on the table or they're gonna find someone who also does fences too. 
and it's kind of like that kind of situation where it's someone that you've already doing work for, um, but you were not going to turn. I don't know if you turned that away or not, but um, yeah, saying no makes it hard because the same customer can give you all three sizes of business. But I like your idea of splitting it, basically. But but you're saying risking losing for that big ticket because you're not able to do the small stuff. Right? Which we can if we do split. That'll work. Not yeah. saying no, but rather splitting, having two different kind of separate teams or flows um, it might be might be the solution. So you're you're touching on on stuff that I think right now I'm in the workshop trying to. Well, and out. I'm I'm in the same thing. Like yeah. I said, last year was a mess for us, and reflecting, mm -hmm. taking taking this time to look back at it. Um, and, and we're not at the size where you can be like, I got a crew that specialize in fences. I got a crew that specializes in hardscape. I, I got know. a crew that specializes in me. It's like you, you, when you don't have this massive size company where you have specialized teams that do specialized things, you have to be a jack of all trades sometimes. And it's tough when yeah. you're in the trades because you need to have either rock stars or uh, an amazing system that I haven't figured out how to build yet. <laughs> I know. I know. And trial and error. And yeah. also I want to touch on a few of your pain points as well. Like it's so relatable and yeah. sure you, you do cabling and we, we do landscape, but throughout the trades, everyone has the, the same struggles. It's yeah, the it's same so model, true. right? Yeah. Um, what are a few other of, uh, I guess your projects or, or tasks in the workshop you're working at? Um, one of the compensation structure, um, that is, I've built different systems over the years. And one of the challenges is if you build really awesome systems that like, could have some fun legs to it to like really provide a lot of structure to the company as it grows, you also need the admin time to manage it. I think that was uh, one of my early lessons is that I loved systems and I envisioned how it would all work. But a lot of systems also require input of data or input of management or making sure things got done a certain way. And I didn't have that admin time. So I've created things like how pay structures will work and different ranking systems and things like that that would help motivate the team. Never had the bandwidth to do it, but this is what we're, I'm trying to move into is I've always been inspired by this company, Nucor. It's a steel company, completely different manufacturing, nothing to do with uh, our model at all, but they uh, have found uh, a way to compensate the people down on the line better than anyone else in the industry. They'll, in good times, will make well over six figures, and in slow times, they'll make less. But they figured out a model to compensate guys really well, and they're hyper-motivated. Um, they use an expression, um, and I, I believe this is a very healthy thing. It can sometimes sound bad, but it was um, hire five, do work like 10, pay them like eight. They built a model where people are compensated based off of what they can produce. This makes it really tricky when you got different size scale projects. But I have a vision that, and down to what I was saying earlier on about my early vision of based off the value people are compensated, based off the value they provide. I wanted to create a structure where people are motivated to become the very best of what they do. And to me, whether you are in a management position or whether you are the best freaking technician this world has ever seen, you should not have a ceiling cap on, like management shouldn't just naturally be paid more. Yeah. And like, I think there's a stigma in the industry where people in trades are like, 
I'm going to only get paid so much and to get paid more, I have to go into management. And I feel like that also is a broken system. I feel like that can be improved upon a lot because some people don't want to sit at a desk. Some people want to be really good at what they do and they should be compensated based off of how good they are at what they do. So I wanted to create a system like that. Um, Something we're working on in the workshop right now is I want to set up a system where I basically, and, and this is where I almost have to design my own system because I want basically a checklist of all the skill sets, competencies that a person can have. Really good at this skill, this skill, this skill, can do this, can do this, can do this, can do this, in a way of testing it and basically go down the list, check it off, and they all have a different value and says, this is your base pay. And if you want to get better, start working on the skills you don't have yet. Check more boxes. Check more boxes. Increase your base pay. Right. And then that, to me, is a base pay. I would really like compensation to also be based off of performance. And this is where you talked about sales separated from ops, right? And it's like that, that pole. You know, sometimes it doesn't uh, feed over. Yeah. Uh, there's always like the two silos naturally always develop and they're always at odds. Um, is a compensation structure that kind of unites them too. Where the person on the sales side or the estimating side and the ops side um, and the execution side all contribute to a job going really well and being more profitable. You have a base pay based off of competencies. So you go down the checklist saying, you know, do, can you do this skill? Can you do this skill? Well, and then you you're skill? mentioning bridging the gap between the office, the That's sales. That's right. And so sales and ops is getting them working on the same side and all benefiting from a job going successfully. Based on performance, based on That's hours. right. So let's just say 100 hours is quoted. Um, and we have a team of two go to do the project. The project manager is, uh, is managing the project. Sales and maybe estimating work together to put the project together and get it teed up. Mm-hmm. When the project's done, profitability on the project is calculated. And let's just say they finished the job because the guys were super efficient. The guys doing the work know that if they work hard, don't drag their heels, they'll get it done in 80 hours. Well, now that actually means the job's more profitable and they're going to get a piece of that. Right. And then the project manager knows if I do a better job preparing this job, making sure things go smooth and I don't let things slip through the cracks and cause delays and issues and yeah. and we end up not knowing what we're doing when we hit the ground, then he's motivated knowing that the better well prepared it is, the smoother it goes, the more profitable it'll be. And then we have the sales guy who knows, I can't just get, you know, the top line looks good because I got more people to sign, say yeah. yes, you're not going to get a job that's not realistic. Right. And he'll also know that if he can, because of the market value, some jobs are very different in our industry, different size companies, that he can use different products, different different things. He can quote things with a higher value, and that will actually help, at the end of the day, the job being more profitable. So he, and it it kind of is your safeguard too, that customer, uh, the sales isn't going to just focus on pumping things through even though they're not the right things that we should be doing, they, he, he may know, and it makes them invested, knowing that if we're not great at a certain type of conduit work, 
he's not going to just try to like sign off on it quick and with hours that it may take our team a lot longer. Yeah. He's going to be a little more realistic and say, you know what, it's not in the best interest for us to do this at this hours. I'm going to have to up it. And if that makes we, means we lose it, we lose it. And that's okay because it's better that we get a job and make be a profitable job than get Just a job and fill in the schedule to lose money. Exactly. Yeah. So that's and if they're compensated off that. So I don't know. I was playing with the idea of like four percent off the off the pro, the gross profit on the project um, or the 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 profitability at the end of the day on the project when it's fully calculated. If I was it had a system where it could flow smoothly enough to do that, and that's challenging to have those systems in place, and it can be costly sometimes too from an admin perspective. Yeah. But if you have the right system that can do it, and we're trying to build that up, then basically split that 4%, 1% each. But on the tech side, sometimes we have techs that they'll work 75% of the project, and one guy will come in just for a little bit. And if that's right. the case, you want it compensated based off the percentage on that project. So let's just say someone worked 75% of the time, yeah, yeah. one guy worked 25%. And our time tracking apps track that really easily. So we can see he did you know, 68% and the other percentage was this person. Then of the 2% that goes to the field techs, that's split up that way. And then yeah. the other 2% will be split off between the two, the PM and the, the sales. And then everyone feels like they're their performance moves the needle. This is their project. There's more ownership yeah. and buy-in. Um, the hard part, though, and I don't know how to deal with this. Maybe you have an insight. What happens if there's a loss? Do you claw back? Right, right. I don't so, know. sales are they compensated uh, result-based to start with, or is it right now, more of a salary? I, I'll be honest with you. We don't have sales except me. We. We don't have any outbound anything. We have been naturally growing through momentum, relationships, and good SEO. Yeah. That is, we, our intake is our natural intake. Um, I have just been, you know, through uh, um, natural um, networking, been helping my get get more work. But I would still say I'm more on the op side. Where we our company is almost purely operations with me doing some networking. Right. We don't really have, um, other than money into marketing stuff for like website uh, rebuild that we're doing right now, um, social media, uh, we pay a little bit just to help. Um, we have someone who helps us with some of the social media stuff. Um, but that's not really not marketing. That's, that's like- Just your portfolio. Yeah. Um, SEO would be beneficial, so like anything that, that helps us, but other than that, we really don't have any outbound stuff right now. Right. Going. We're not running ads or anything. We have marketing dollars going to like branding our trucks and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, and it scares me too, being the face, like until until now, I've been the face of the brand and you're growing right. that. That is the networking. Yep. Charlie is the landscaping guy or, or yep. Jonathan is, is the guy who runs cables. But how are you gonna scale that, right? Like me being, me being, yeah. sure I can be great. Everyone knows me. Everyone has my salary. and I want yep. this done, that done. But um, like flipping the switch mm -hmm. to lose the emotional connection with those and have it strictly yes. transactional. Is this profitable? Is this not? No, we're not gonna do it. Like, and, and it's hard, it. it's hard, but yeah. it, whether that's bringing an admin in and that's their job because they don't know those clients for the last six years. Mm -hmm. 
whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking on the compensation and like what we're just talking about, um, I find it very fascinating. Number one, the operations, the crew's performance can vary so much and setting the standard, like sure there's the good days, the bad days, but some crews can be 50% less efficient. Yeah. And yeah. just the efficiency alone is such a big part. Like we need to be creating something where we can be profitable in a recession in such low we can underbid everyone because we're so efficient and still make profits yeah but springtime for us busy season we should just be printing cash because we're we're charging so much yes. but if it gets thin how do you protect yourself we, we should still be making money because our systems exactly. are so dialed in our people are so efficient we are so um so i will i'll say what i know nucor does and this again that steel uh, steel yeah. company example yeah because their compensation is so heavily, even their line stuff is based off of on um, amount of steel rolled in a day, they, when things are good, they're making tons of money. When things are not good and steel is lower, everyone's hurting together. And there's a beauty to that, but there's a con to it too. And, and, and I'm sure you'll relate. Um, I'll circle back to that. If the majority of your compensation is based off of productivity or amount of work produced, that is, that's awesome. Really, really hard in the services to create this kind of structure that works. It's my dream to do it. I'm gonna try to do it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's gonna fail 10 times, I'll, I'll figure it out eventually. But you can't always compensate that way. Um, not with everyone, at least that's really, really tough to do. But there is a view with that because then when everybody should be printed cash during busy times, but then it should also dial back where your costs go down when things are slower. Hard part with that is not everybody can handle that. Everyone's living paycheck to paycheck with this economy and how expensive day-to-day -day living is. Yeah. For people, there I've had staff straight up say, I don't care if you tell me to work 100 hours a week or 30 hours a week, as long as I get a consistent paycheck every single time. I just need to be on salary. Right. And that's for their own budgeting sake. They need that consistency to get by. Yeah. And I would say that's probably more common all the time. Is that it's great to earn more when things are great, but to earn less, people can't manage that. Uh, there's a level of budgeting that is a really hard skill that yeah. people just naturally don't have and they end up going to really hard times. So that's kind of where the downside is with that um, and i have people who would like to be happy to work all the overtime right. just and have that flexibility but the stability so that i, I struggle with because it's like there are people out there and i want to appease that i want to help that then do i create two compensation lines it's like you can have steady consistent with a p potential bonus at the end of the year that gets recalculated or do you get this ability to earn bigger, but also be willing that when things are quieter, things are quieter. And maybe this just goes down to labor hours too. Maybe it just goes down to the seasonal thing. That's the harder part. But um, I know another company that does it where they put people on salary and they just know that there's gonna be busy times and quiet, or quieter times. Problem is eventually everybody, everyone's gonna find a reason to complain. There's never going to be a perfect comp structure right. for anybody. So it's really tough. But why should there be a quiet time if 
your expenses are so low, if you're so efficient, if you, you don't have to charge much to make money because you're mm -hmm. so efficient. So That'd when those nice. times yeah. get tough, you bring it right down. But in, for us at Spring, we just, we're printing money, but mm -hmm. making those systems is, um, and, and it's way easier said than done, don't yeah. get me wrong. But structuring it like that is, there's just, what I'm getting at is how much waste is overlooked in any organization. Yeah. And that's, it's normalized. Um, and really dialing things down is, yeah. it, it's possible. It's possible. I, I agree. Um, I've, I've always dreamed of finding a, a, a really good rhythm that's super lean. Like the leaner your overhead is, your operating like requirements to, for output, and when things get quiet, so does your overhead cost that you should never be in a bad position. That's the dream. Um, I was challenged by, um, I have a family member who, um, he works in a really large company and he's a C-level position and I just pitching to him all these different ideas. I'm like, well, how do I structure this? Like, how do I accomplish these exact goals? Right. And he said, maybe you just have a, a, a team, small team, that kind of operate almost like little mini business owners in a way in that they get mostly of their compensation based off of percentage of what the company's producing. Yeah. And you make all the decisions where even like hiring, it's like, do we need another office staff to help manage stuff? Well, then it comes down to like, do they all make it together because you know it's gonna cut into the level of take home they're gonna and then have. also back to the thing of wearing too many hats of mm -hmm. like how are they gonna be so good at what they're doing if they're not doing sales every day they're they're running jobs they're doing estimating and then you got the their... silo effect uh, uh, um, or not sorry the specialty factor yeah, yeah. you're right if, if it's you like specialize you know then you're gonna be the best at what you do and there's a beauty too. everyone being really good at stuff um, I know in in like the PMP courses, I've never done one, but I've uh, done some self study and things like that. They they uh, in the agile model, I think they have like the they call it like a T model, where it's like you have a, a team made up of people who are diverse enough in their skill sets across, but they have one that they're really specialized in. Right. And if you can have a team that are really specialized in different areas, but still have that versatility, they're able to somewhat then you can you can all work as a team to kind of adapt to different scenarios um that that i'm exploring um but at the same time then it comes down to nobody wants to take full ownership of something and then you have back to the very first topic we brought up which is yes. without full ownership that means everyone points the finger back to someone when the fires happen and do you want it to be you all the time or do you want to find someone to help run things and you do the things that you want to do maybe it is ops that you want to yeah. do but so, so my question to you is how, how many hours would you say like your a crew would work a year or like your form and how many hours is that like, what, 2,000 hours? Yeah, yeah, I would say everything, every full-time staff we have is full-time. Like every, every employee is a full-time position. Um, we have seasons where it's a little bit quieter, but typically I've never seen that until this weird second year after COVID, there was a weird blip where everybody right. went, um, and hit the brakes, and it was during the summer last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was really tough on us. Um, we never experienced the brakes being hit so hard, and we've adapted during COVID, and you know, we, we figured it out our way through all of it, but that one really hurt us because we had a team that was really roaring and, and work slowed down. Yeah, I, I don't... 
So like 2,000 yeah. hours. So um, Mark Bradley is this this gentleman who uh, created this software. He's done, uh, he used to do a landscape company okay. uh, from when he was very young. He grew it to $50 million, um, operating at an overhead of 3%, wow. um, and then created a, a software to help his company, sold his company. It's now running the software, uh, like a CRM. Huh. Um, he's incredible what he's done. And one of his, his concepts is, um, so how many hours are you gonna budget for? So say it's 2,000. Mm -hmm. And that crew hits 2,000 hours by October. Mm -hmm. So um, they hit the, what they were supposed to budgeted for a year, mm -hmm. right? But they hit it two, two months early. They hit that early, they get a 2.5% bonus of the revenue that they have brought in mm -hmm. because they hit it for the year early. Mm. Everything after that, you've already budgeted for 12 months of labor. So your labor's basically free it's after that. After, after that, time. right? Wow. After the October, they're getting 5% of any other revenue they're bringing in. And because it's, it's all bonus, really, after yeah. that 2,000 man hours you've budgeted because they figured out how to be so efficient. Hmm. And if not, if they are on time or they take up all 2,000 hours, then that 2.5% goes towards recovery or stuff that went wrong. So yeah. always budgeting for that 2.5% somewhere, whether it's a bonus or yeah. being behind schedule. And I find that very fascinating on how they've, they've Now, is the that. power in that based off of the crew being kind of like a, like a fixed crew? Yeah. Because that kind of requires It's basically the foreman and then his two or three guys. So if you split your team off all the time bouncing between it, crews, it, that's where it would fall apart. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it, it just opens their eyes, too. Like you mentioned yeah. performance of having the right equipment, having uh, your, your stuff in line, yeah. um, being organized the night before so you're, you're ready to go in the morning and not spending half your day running around materials. Yeah. Like just... Um, it, and it adds up, like yeah. for, for our guys overlooking for getting a gas can or a shovel. Yeah. Well, that's half hour back to the yard, half hour the next way. You're, you're spending gas money. The foreman did that, so his yes. two laborers are sitting on site, not, not doing anything. Yeah. It's like, that's yeah. A really, that's a really good structure. I'm going to chew on that. Something, a good nugget that you might like. Uh, I heard this recently, and I thought it was brilliant. It was applied a principle I ended up having to develop for travel time. So because we have guys across the city everywhere and every site's different location and they all come from different directions and, and we'll normally just have two guys on site. That's yeah. typically our normal, like 99.99% of the time. Uh, we can sometimes have more if it's a huge job or sometimes a single guy, but uh, two guys on site, they typically come from different directions. When we estimate a project, how do we estimate their travel time? Because depending if it's a two-month-long project, having a guy come who has a longer commute is way more expensive than two people working in the same area going to it. How do we standardize that in our quoting process? And how do we standardize that in our cost side of things? And we, it became a real challenge. And we wanted to compensate people in a fair way where they feel like that's a fair setup. So what we've done was we've created a, a uh, anywhere in the city uh, is... Um, uh, it used to be one, but the GTA traffic so bad it's 1.25, which is an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. They clock that, a manual entry onto their timesheet for their travel to site every single day. And that's just one way, or like that's... So morning and night, or just total for the day? Just total for the day. And 
they could be, let's just say they're coming from Pickering and the job's in Pickering. It could be 10 minutes from their house. They still get the 1.25. It could be further than that, and they spend more time in the traffic, and that could be. And there's always give and take. You should always be typically traveling a little bit more than what you're clocking, and that's because of the principle of having to come to the office and pick up your trucks. We have a policy where you take your trucks home. So instead of having to do the policy where everyone comes to the truck, picks up their trucks, and then go goes to site, this is a way to, for them to save a lot of time in, on, in traffic where you would typically have to get yourself to work. Nobody typically compensates people to go to if you're working in any other type of business where you know you show up. Yeah. No one's paying you to show up to work. They're paying yeah. you when you're at work. Interesting. So Interesting. that kind of concept, we ha- and we have to regularly remind that too because it, entitlement naturally creeps fast. Um, and because tra- traveling, getting stuck in traffic sucks. Everyone feels it. Well, I know a few guys, they don't even, they don't even pay their guys leaving the yard or they maybe pay them one, one way. They come to the yard, they get the truck, they get paid in the morning, but they don't get paid on the way back. So for us, we don't leave all the trucks here. We have them take them home. So it makes it complicated because then they're traveling from different locations. So because of that, our costs are different than what we're billing and billing's hard to predict. So what we did is we standardized it, that everybody clocks 1.25 if it's within the city. If it's outside of the city, like on that like band on the outside yeah. of the GTA, um, that is uh, uh, a plus one zone. So it's 2.25 right. they manually clock. And if it's outside of that, then typically you're in a zone where you're probably going to either um, get a hotel if it's like a week-long project or something like that. Yeah. Which in that case, you, they, you bill for the entire travel time out and travel time back because that's factored in based off of um, the quoting process. Um, and that's really good. That's a principle that we've done just to block it so that we know it's always going to be consistent. When standardized, right? Exactly. It's standardized, and then the costs are standardized too. Yeah. Right? So we can quote it based off of how many times we're going to go to site. Well, now we know, because now we know to add 1.25 per tech per travel. And you make that cost day. fixed, and it's, over, it's fixed over time it probably... It's fixed on the quoting process, and, and it's fixed on the, the, guys. the cost side. So yeah. now it's a little easier to predict and be more regular. Because we had some guys that were traveling a lot farther, and all of a sudden our costs were way higher than we thought. I'm like, why are these extra hours on yeah. here? And then you're eating it up the hours because of the travel time. So that really helped regulate it. Um, and then, but one step further, I haven't implemented this, but I heard this. is like, I've always struggled. How do you tell the guys to keep their trucks clean? I don't know. Do you, how do you keep oh, your trucks clean? I, I hate it. It's, I, I'm just pound, hounding them every single day. Right? And the keep system, them pretty, please. Like, <laughs> but it's like hard. The, we, we tried putting a checklist in place, just like a Friday pack-up, make sure it gets detailed on yeah. Friday, cleaned on Friday, but everything detailed on Friday. Unless you have someone checking it all the time. You come there Monday morning and it's still a mess. What, what do you guys do? So organizing the truck, um, get, get going to a car wash. I also was really hard. If you have a roof rack, I have no idea, what, like how what ones you can go to. I haven't figured that like out. Like the yet. the coin ops that you just spray it off. Is that the ones the spray yeah. downs? Yeah. Um, and then like sometimes um, restocks, like coming back to the, yeah. the the stock room to like pick up more and restock their trucks. Yeah. Um, I was told by another electrician out of the UK in a, a, a call. This is what he's done, and I was like, why haven't I thought of this? Same principle as the gas as a travel. Once a week, they can clock for the 30 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour, depending on what you want to regulate for your company. You can clock an hour for a, a car wash or 45 minutes for a car wash. You can clock an hour for a truck reorg. Yeah. You can clock one hour. 
And then that way they can do it in their own time. And they're typically, as we all are, we're all wired to like hack the system. So what they're going to do is they're going to do their reorg when they're when it's a really convenient timing for them to do it. And that way it takes them 10 minutes and they get the hour for it. And then same thing with the car wash. It's like, right. you know, you're find out you're going to be early for site instead of not being able to like clock, you're just sitting around. They're going to hit the car wash and get the car wash. And yeah. they're going to do it now because it's going to take them a couple of minutes and it, it, they maximize in their time. They feel like they're getting bigger value out of it. And it, it's a fixed cost you can predict. It's right. not being mixed and muddled into... So the predictability into, of it. Exactly. And then sure. it allows them not to like want to come to the office and just dilly-dally, try to get their hours inflated. It's a way for them to manage their own hours in a predictable way that you've already allotted the time for. Right. And, and I was like, that's really smart. So I want to move into that. That's a good structure that everybody can clock their own time at their own. But truck maintenance and um, material pickups from different locations still the thorn in my side. I have no idea. Every time my truck needs to get maintenance done, I still have not figured out the rhythm. It's like, I almost like want to have a, just a truck dedicated to like, like a spare. swap. Yeah, but that's such a big overhead to sit on. I. What do you do? Do you think it's a big overhead? Because the know. time yeah. sitting out, like how, how much are they billing for those three days it's in the shop, the travel time to yeah. the shop, the, um, the schedule behind and then possibly losing the clients in the schedule because you pushed them back two weeks. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, culture. Yeah. Um, a yeah. struggle is with them taking their trucks home. There's not the culture of meeting in the morning um, mm. and the balance of, like, sure, the camaraderie, but also, oh, like, we're here to make money. Like, I, I'm still ironing this one out, but I definitely had some bumps in my own process trying to figure that out um i w- i'm very wired to try to create a good culture um and at the very early days i had everyone meet here at the office before they broke off which yeah. gives you that personable aspect um and uh, i wanted to maintain that when we stopped doing that and we moved into something i read from another book um Scaling Up. Fantastic book, by the way. Uh, I'm actually reading it right now. Yeah, it's great. And Rockefeller uh, Habits, which is great. Um, One of the ones that is a really big, powerful one is a stand-up meeting every morning. Is a daily call. Everyone's on. And I've had pushback on it. So here's my adoption of that. Um, Every morning we use Teams because there's enough of us now where we no longer can just do it over a call and patch someone in. Yeah. Do it over Teams or some kind of a group call. It could be WhatsApp group call. Everybody jumps onto it. Everyone's cameras are off. Um, and it's just a call. And our coordinator, he'll just go through, how did things go yesterday? Where are you at today? Um, and that is really beneficial. The biggest benefit that comes out is there's occasionally something that comes up and goes, oh, you know what? I don't have the material for this. And then right then and there, we're coordinating, oh, hey, can you pick up this up while you're passing by there? Can you pick that up and drop it off to there? And you and, can go and here. And where does that get documented? Because anything mm-hmm. on words gets forgotten or doesn't happen or no one said it or it's gets um, heard wrong. I guess, thankfully, right now, our coordinator, that's like one of their, his primary roles. I see. So 
that's like where his focus goes. So I've, typically, if there's some coordination like that going on, I know he's see, seen to it that, that all yeah. that happens, that the drop-off gets done right and things like that. Um, but that stand-up meeting's powerful. That, that really helped. Um, and they did push back at one time. We did have a call. And I was like, all right, I'm happy to change how we do it as long as we don't lose our certain effectiveness. Uh, because some guys are just quiet and don't say anything because there is nothing to say. Yeah. Typically, we're going to our project leads. You know, where are we on this project? They need yeah, everything going well. Okay, where? And three people speak, and or four people speak, and the rest are just silently on the call, and they feel like, oh, this is a waste of time. And they're like, you know, they're yeah, half yeah. checked out. Um, but it's an opportunity for things to come up where people can learn from. So people who actually do have a learning spirit, they're going to listen. They're mm -hmm. going to want to know the intricacies of how certain things played out. Um, and and just get more experience overall from the people who uh, and because I was willing to kill it and I said that's fine but what we're going to be doing is we have to move to everything being documented really well so um, we've implemented we're, right now we're using WhatsApp also a principle on using what works not what you want to use like I was thinking about using teams because everyone's already on teams but n nobody chatted in team, team yeah. chats. I switched to WhatsApp. Everybody's super active. I created one channel that everyone's in. They're throwing, you know, funny memes up. And it yeah. builds the good. That was a good plus. Like having a, a running cables feed on WhatsApp at the group chat that everybody's on. That's awesome. And ever, the camaraderie is good there. It's like where jokes can be spread or a funny picture of something. You know, they'll post it. And it, it keeps like that team yeah. atmosphere too. And then every project we create, we create a group now for each of those under it, and then they're specifically... And the updates get sent throughout that. Um, yeah, and any large updates that, you know, hey guys, I need everyone to check your trucks, we're trying to find this tester or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, we can throw that into that group chat and everybody can see it. And, Interesting. Um, so that, that's helped with a lot of that camaraderie. Things that I've tried, in, uh, I've, I've done, I used to do like a training day once a month where I had everyone in. Yeah. And it ended up being super costly, but, um, I found that the value just wasn't there and people really pushed back on it too. Um, and, but one of my main reasons was I wanted to go over our culture. I wanted to go over our core values. I wanted to go over our mission and our But purpose. no one cares. Like they're so zoned out. They, they can. The right people, they care. Um, and I was okay with, I'm okay with being um, obnoxious with repeating the same thing over and over if it's the stump speech stuff. Uh, I don't know where I got this expression, some book, but um, CEO, chief reminding officer, CRO. <laughs> um, that's really what your job is, is to keep reminding everyone of certain yeah. things to the point where like, yeah, you're, you're going to be a broken record, but they are going to have ingrained in their head. If you want them, and it, that's super valuable to have them kind of ingrained. So I was okay with being obnoxious by like going over our values, going over our values, going over our purpose, going over our purpose, going over our mission. Our and, mission. and our fine line of going over our purpose, drilling that in, but also like having them understand the reason because if they're on your team, they're driven individuals, they're ready to go, they want to produce, they want, you know, hit man hours, get their yeah. jobs done. And if they are sitting there zoned out for an hour exactly. in the morning, yep. they feel like, well, my boss is working against me. This was our goal. Now, no. now what? Now we're on different pages and I, yeah. I want to produce, I want to produce. And he's, you know, talking, saying all this nonsense that he's said the last, yeah. same thing the last four weeks. So it's no, such I a agree. fine line. Like, I agree. It it's, is tough it's, sometimes. I know. But 
And um, then I, I moved that to, to okay, I'll put some of that into my, my, just the Monday, for the first week back morning call. I'll put some of that in there. Right. And I'll like just make everyone video on, and I'll do a PowerPoint or whatever. Yep. And even that became too monotonous. So I think what I'm going to do is I might move back to something more regular. But right now I'm going to do a team day um, once a quarter where we come in, we update training, we make sure everyone's a hard reset on their trucks and everything's up to date, and it's a good camaraderie day. And right. um, we can reinforce, you know, company culture, what we're after, goals, things like that. And if I can, I'm going to try to squeeze in some social event good. once a quarter yeah. as well. Um, and uh, that's my goal of what I'm trying to do, just so I can keep the camaraderie, keep the relationships, and also don't lose some of that stuff that, they do need, even though they don't want to hear it all the time, they do need that, like, hey, this is what we're here but for. But it's once a quarter, so it's, it's, it's fine. And probably SOPs, too, with having four or five crews. Updating stuff. Updating them together because this guy does one thing this way yeah. and this guy does another thing <laughs> yeah. this way. Yeah. And sure, it works for them, but when you're trying to you standardize it. everything, it's like oh. we sit down on this document it and go through it. gives you a perfect time to roll out new processes and yeah. procedures. I'm already planning the next one because... We're wanting to implement a lot of that stuff. Yeah. We're going to try to implement uh, a new software that tracks kind of progress on projects and things like that. So I'm going to try to enroll a lot, a lot of that out in the next get-together. Awesome, awesome. Another thing, uh, like throughout the trades is a massive struggle. Uh, the whole bookkeeping accounts, books. Yes. You guys seem to really have it figured out <laughs> with bringing someone yeah. on full-time. You know what? I would say and we are, that's one area I'll say I'm proud that we have figured a lot more out eons to go yeah but it was through an enormous amount of pain um, I've learned that if you hire an outsourced bookkeeper typically their normal priority is to put the things in the right spots that's they take a bill and they put it in the right categories a lot of times they don't even spend the time to make sure you have the right categories that you want first that meet makes sense to you and you have to think critically too it's like what what do I care about what do I need to know when I look at yeah. a statement what does you know, what does it mean? Yeah, and then the big thing that I ran into in my lack of accounting education didn't know, and it was, you know, you land a big job, really excited, you know, in January they get it approved, okay, we're going to start on the 28th of January. So you go and buy all the stone, you go and buy all this material, and now your books show a huge expense. And then February, you're doing it all February, and it rolls a little bit into March, and maybe you progress in voice, I don't know, but um, if you don't, even still, then you have more expenses, now all your labor is technically in February, yeah. and then you bill it out in, in March. And now your books show a huge payment in March, but you have no costs that were technically spread out over February and January. Yeah. So your books go, and then they shoot back up. Yeah. And you do that with, four different sites, it's doing this all the time. And you're like, am I doing good or am I not? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea if we're going the Just right direction. The dice, yeah. Because everything is in the, like, you, you can't, until you, all that really helps is if you have a couple of years of, ex, like, track records, and then you zoom out, and you, like, plot the lines, you're like, oh, yeah, it is going the right direction, Connect I guess. Dots. But you can't do, then you're in trouble if you're trying to make, see if you're doing well or not by looking Three at years past. Later. Exactly. <laughs> So I, it was, I came up with the, all these fancy ideas of like, okay, what if we create like 
this a chart of accounts that's just like a fake account. And I did all this in Excel, and I was thankful for uh, my accountant to finally like point it out. But I wish I was educated. Someone told me this first, because I was like, I've asked questions. I pointed this out to my bookkeepers, and this level of bookkeeping is a very different style of bookkeeping. Um, well, like us, they standardize things. Whether you're a plumber or yeah. or someone yeah. doing a clean, like a cleaning lady or whatever, yeah. it's standardized for them, rightfully so. And yeah. our whole conversation's been on that, right? Yeah, they probably have their SOPs, and they don't want to have to cater too much different things. And if they have a lot of like trades, that's actually probably a good thing if you find an outsourced person. But someone who can make sense of the numbers and make adjustments. So there's something called a whip, um, and basically it's them moving that revenue that says it hit in March, because you sent the invoice in March, it's saying, okay, well, we know 40% of the costs were materials. We're gonna move that into January, because that's when you bought the materials right. to cover that bill. And then the, your labor that was in February, that's the 60%, we're gonna move 60% of your costs on that project into February. And we're gonna, or, or technically the bill, the revenue is gonna be 60% over yeah. February in, 40% over January. Because that's matching your expenses. Exactly. So as the expense go up, so does your revenue. So now you actually see what you made on that project yeah. in January. Did you do well in January? Did you do well in February? Well, now you're matching up your costs with your revenue. So it makes sense. That has to do with an adjustment the bookkeepers need to do in your project. So you just have to feed them the right information to say, hey, okay, this is the, uh, you know, this is the, the, progress on the project this is when we bought the material this yeah. is how far we are in the project so he can they can split it off into the right put it into the right bins and now you can start to see down to the month if you want some people do it every quarter depends on your business style um down to like are we doing good this month bad this month good this month yeah it now makes sense your p l is finally useful to a tradesperson if you've been in the trades Financial reports mean nothing until you start to do that the right until way. Until you do it, and yeah. And, That's the truth. And we had this chat. I, I don't know when it was you brought it to my attention. I'm like, I can't relate more. Yeah. And then just a few months later, snow removal season, it's contract-based. It's one payment for the next four or five months. Yeah. You get that 15 <laughs> You get that $1,500 a client, you're doing 300 driveways. December yeah. was great. Yeah. <laughs> what happens January, February, right? Exactly. So, and, you, and you don't want those costs to be, you don't want those, uh, you'll have to pay HST on it because if you collect the bills, you have to pay HST at the end of the year, but you don't have to essentially pay tax on that income until the following year because you haven't earned it yet. If you do it, if you, you do it properly, yeah. yeah you yeah. split it. Yeah. Uh, your accountant should know to ask him about that too because yeah. um, I, I wish someone could spell this out to me five years ago. Yeah. Boy, it would have saved me a lot of time and headache um, because the, what I've learned is I had that exact happen. Huge project came through, landed in January, billed out in January. It was all the deposits. Haven't touched the project yet, just the deposits. Yeah. Well, I found out right away a little tax thing is that you have to pay the HST, but because all of it were deposits for the project, because it's still deemed, or I guess it was booked as, it was booked as an invoice. I think depends on how it's booked. It can be can be changed. But the way we had to do is we had to pay the HST on it, um, but we didn't have to pay the tax on it. It's not like we just earned a hundred thousand dollars all right, of a sudden. Right. Yeah, yeah. Didn't have to pay income tax on it because we moved it to the following year, where where we started working on the project. And then next January, year, February. it just paid. And then that way, then 
then the next year tax, I'm not paying an enormous amount of tax on something. And maybe that's your advantage. Maybe you want to pay the tax on it now, <laughs> yeah. but it's uh one well, for us. It can, is seasonal. Like if it's somewhat consistent, I yeah. guess like, you know, every December it's going to be a spike, but exactly, for yeah. massive projects, there's no consistency whatsoever. Exactly. And the, the big thing at the end of the day is just know, like being able to look at a financial report and know if you're doing well or not. Yeah. And then a big thing for me was, um, I ended up, moving away from outsourced bookkeepers and I hired someone probably um, really well qualified uh, earlier than probably most companies at our size would hire someone in-house because I wanted this. And they're full this. time? Yep. And I was like, I don't care if I'm overpaying because I just want that peace of mind. Yeah. I want to be able to turn my brain off and know that's going to be okay. And he's fantastic. He also um, is very, as we kept growing our, our Cash flow reporting isn't just a simple what QuickBooks spit out to, to me. Um, knowing your cash flow is typically how much you owe different people, so your AP versus your AR, yeah. how much you, you people owe you, um, and then how much cash you have in the bank. And that's the simple part. But you also have to factor in you know, credit cards, paying off your credit cards. And then you have to factor in any other additional loans that have to be repaid or anything like that. So, And then it gets complicated if you're holding money for a job like we had cash uh, we got for a project and then it got put on hold for three months and we're like okay we'll hold on to the deposit yeah but you can't factor that into your cash flow you can't think it's income earned yeah. so um, when you get to a certain size it gets dangerous just looking at your bank account because yeah. then you make decisions and you can be fooled by oh I forgot to factor in I got taxes at the end of the year yeah. and HST and it's gonna bottom me out and I didn't plan for it yeah and I was thankful that he watches the cash flow really well, always spits out a report that's customized just to like factor in some of the things I know are coming up, big expenses. Yeah. And then you can start to forecast a little bit too and be like, okay, if I hired another person in the admin off in the office, it's not going to turn into revenue right away, but it will in the next three months. Or if I got another truck or two trucks, how much is that going to put me back? Um, so you can start to forecast it. And that, not saying that I have it all figured out by any means, but we're definitely, I feel more secure than ever. Because I also know he will sound the alarms if something's looking a little off. Which yeah. Is good. And talking like talking about niches, going back to that, there's yeah. a whole like a void in the market. Really, it's yep. so hard to come by someone who will put that together. Like bookkeepers so that just specialize in that could be that, but also the education. I don't. I don't think trades yeah. guys even see the value in it, or most yep. of them don't know their numbers. Right. That's the truth. So, yeah. So last point here, yeah. um, marketing. Yep. Um, you guys are amazing on Google, number one, um, with all Thank your you. your reviews, the profile you guys have built there. And then also you have, uh, you outsource a little bit of the social media stuff. Mm -hmm. What else works? And touch on a few of those. Yeah, uh, biggest ROI is Google reviews. Um, if Google, if you're in the trades, typically where your marketing dollar should go is you want to be found on Google. If people are looking for landscapers, they're going to Google it. Yeah. People are looking for electricians, they're going to Google it, if they don't have one already. Um, and being well found on Google is the algorithm, the tricks of it. Um, it's beneficial to have a website that is SEO friendly, it's well designed for it, and it's beneficial to do things that show, like Google's always trying to, people who are legitimately the right people to be found are legitimately the ones being found. They're always trying to do it. So there's no hack. There's no system, like trick of the trade or anything like that. 
if you are getting Google reviews, shows that you're active in certain areas by certain people's IP addresses, they're going to know it all and go, yeah, you know what, these are the right people to show in this area. If you're searching for landscapers in Oakville, you're going to be found. Maybe you'll rank a little bit lower if you're out in Markham, right? Yeah. And, and it's really good. At, they're really good at doing that. And they're pushing right now just being helpful. The more helpful content you have on your website, the better. So that's a good place where I found that I want to just keep pushing into. When we set up the residential side, Google reviews, huge. One of the small things you can do that will really benefit your visibility on that is every project, this is a safety net too, every, at the end of every project, uh, I have a, a custom email go out. It's a template, but it's very personable. Um, and it goes out to the customer with maybe some photos of the work and says, you know, just want to double check that everything, you're satisfied with it, just want to ask for your feedback. And also on it, it says, um, and we're also trying to grow our Google reviews. If you don't mind leaving a Google review, it would be really appreciated. Helps our SEO and helps us get found yeah. by other people. Doing that one practice, every single time we finish a project, we send that, it opens us up to getting honest feedback so we can know if there's areas we need to improve on. It also gives us Google reviews, and typically they I, we've all had really, really good results on that, so we haven't had any negative kickback from that at all. We're always asking for Google reviews, and they it helped our SEO go through the roof because we're active, and the words they use get picked up by the algorithm, everything. So that, that would be my number one advice, is that just get in the habit of asking for feedback on whether it's, are you happy? And throw in the link saying we're trying to grow our Google review. Doing that one practice, will help your Google review, help your SEO, and it's a safety net to make sure quality is where you want it and your reputation is protected and your brand is yeah. protected. So that was a big one. That That's small output, huge reward. One thing you could you should consider is a nice job. It's a, a software thing I mentioned to you. Um, it connects with our invoices oh. and when a job's completed, so it okay. sends those all automatically. Oh. Um, asking, are you satisfied, this, that, and the other. Okay. It sends them the initial email and then follows up with a text a few text weeks too. later. Um, okay. and I'll get that info after. Yeah, okay. it's it's honestly been game changing. I think it's only like 50 bucks a month or something. Okay. It's It's been nuts. And then also um, to add to like, the, the algorithm, everything they say in the reviews gets yep. picked up, but blog posts and just yes. like adding value. Um, like why three benefits of mulching or, or why you should run mm. the cable this certain way or yep. just like like Google, they, they see that and that's what they're looking for. They um, track how long people are reading. They know, they know what's helpful to people and what's not. Because homeowners, uh, probably a lot of it is, is they're not going to be the ones doing the cabling, but they, they want to know how it works or, or investigate or People how, like how does this work? Can I maybe do this? So these guys really know what they're doing. I'm just going to get Jonathan to do it. Exactly. So, you nailed um, it. And then, exactly and then also the marketing. Um, yeah. Before we wrap this up, yeah. I know this was new a few months ago. How has that been going? Um, I know it's so um, time consuming. SEO. No, um, social, sorry, oh, sorry, social media. Social, social media. media, that's what I mean. Really good. Um, I found a gentleman that I could line up to basically compensate based off of progress on social media. Not just followers, because I know people, if the organization you can pay for followers, fake followers out there, I don't know. Um, that's not what thing I would bet he would ever do, but it's also based off the other things that like your traction on social media. Um, 
Yeah, it works good. The hardest part is getting all your guys to get into the culture of the taking their content and yeah. posting it all into a OneDrive folder, which is what we do right now. We're just trying to stay on them to do that because it means that's the material that can be edited and put on and show the world what we're doing. So um, I think if I had more bandwidth and I could be more of the face of the company, I think I would be out doing a lot more personable stuff. Yeah. But I just can't do that right now. Interesting. Yeah. Awesome, Jonathan. Well, thank you very much. That was an awesome chat. I really appreciate your time. I know uh, you're you're always busy, always well, always something on the go. But I, I appreciate the few hours. That was that was good. Absolutely, buddy. That, that was a good chat.